0: This episode of the Chris Johnston show is brought to you by Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is your homegrown sports book where local takes on an entirely different meaning, focusing on the teams, games and players that matter to you. Sports Interaction is on the ground, on top of local trends and offering prop bets that you'd never even imagine existed. And now they're introducing the locker room, the first of its kind in Canada, a live watch party for the biggest games of the week. Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Go to sportsinteraction.com STPN to open an account and bet local. 19 plus, please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or the gambling of someone close to you, please go to conicsontario.ca.
1: Uh, I know that some in our
0: audience know the finer points of hockey. The
1: Chris Johnston Show.
0: We are your friends.
1: The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? Powered by Sports
0: Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Always remember to bet local.
1: Here's Chris with your host, Julia McKenzie.
0: Part of the game. Big Money Siege, we have a packed show today. We got to talk about uh, the uh, where we're at when it, when it comes to neck guard protection in the NHL. Some NHL teams may be looking into that. Charlie McAvoy getting suspended four games. Nicholas Backstrom stepping away. You wrote a piece in The Athletic about uh, some rookies approaching their 10th game. All of that has to come second place today to the Ottawa Senators. Over the last week, I have to imagine if you are a fan, tough, tough time. Just just let me, if you don't mind, I want to go through a timeline here. Uh, just of some things that have happened over the last few days. You know, your last place in the Atlantic Division. Thomas Shabbat is out four to six weeks with a fractured hand. Uh, Shane Pinto suspended 41 games for a gambling infraction. Uh, evidence found that uh, Ottawa was at fault for the Evgeny Dadanov aborted trade from Vegas to Anaheim for basically not disclosing specifics of a no trade clause. And then Pierre Dorian fired as general manager yesterday. Uh, interim GM now Steve Steos, which sort of means that Steve Dangle was right in predicting that he'd be GM of the Ottawa Senators and uh Michael Ann Lauer, he let it fly yesterday at that press conference. CJ, what did you what have you made of the Ottawa Senators last few days and specifically yesterday's events?
1: Well, look, it's been a tough stretch, there's no way around that. I mean, that's that's a season's worth of, you know, tough news packed into a week and a half or or whatever it's been. Um, you know, it it, it does you know, now that we've learned a little bit more about what happened in the Dadnov situation, I think it was an untenable situation in terms of keeping Pierre Dorian, um, you know, might have been one, the, the one word that stood up for me that, that Michael Anlar used in the press conference was negligence, mm-hmm. um, you know, which seemed to me to suggest uh, the senators felt that they maybe even could have tried to terminate Pierre Dorian with with cause, uh, meaning they wouldn't necessarily have to pay him. Obviously, that didn't happen. I think they negotiated his exit. That's why it was branded a resignation officially. Uh, I'll remind you as well that Mike Babcock departed Columbus with a resignation, uh, not a firing. And so, yeah, I mean, pretty eventful period here. And, you know, it'd be be interesting to see how they respond. You know, I, I don't know how this, I don't know to what degree this gets into a dressing room. You know, let's face it, the best players on that team are all pretty young. I'm not sure how concerned they are with what's going on in the front office. But, you know, you can't deny that the the entire environment around that team, and, and some of it for the positive, but in the last two months has changed, right? You've got new ownership. All of a sudden, you've got, you know, Steve Steos being installed as the president, now the interim GM. You have Daniel Alfredson back around the team and on the ice. Um, you know, there's been a fair number of changes there. And, and Pierre Dorian had been the general manager uh, for the last eight years in Ottawa was an assistant GM before that. So it was a real mainstay in that organization. And, you know, in the last year you've had him depart, uh, his two assistant GMs have departed in the last year, year and a half. And so there's, there's been a lot of turnover and, and, and stuff going on behind, behind the scenes and, you know, losing a first round draft pick. I mean, we haven't even got to that is, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that, that's, that's difficult. That That's tough. I mean, a team like Ottawa, you know, we're expecting them. It's, it's, they're losing that draft pick in 24, 25 or 26. And in that period of time, Ottawa was expecting to be a playoff team. Right. And, or, and so the, the first rounder might not be that high in those years necessarily, although we'll see where it's going this year with, with the way things have gone, but you know, you'd want that pick say to make a big trade at a certain point in time, or, you know, there's, there's just value to that asset. Um, that is, is tough to replace. And I think that that, was part of the frustration you heard from Michael Landlauer in his press conference is he's just saying he doesn't understand why this wasn't decided ahead of time. And you know why he's essentially inheriting this, this punishment.
0: What was it like just seeing all of these events just kind of happen one by one you mentioned, it, like the fact that it's kind of happened over a week. It's one thing to kind of add context to why these things are happening as you just did now, but as your job as, as an insider and, and just staying on top of stuff, like, I know for me, just seeing it from a distance, I'm just like, "What the hell is going on?" Like you, you kind of figure that these are the these are things that would happen in the old Eugene Melnick era, not in this new era. Like I, I, I'm, I'm beside myself at how all of this just kind of came to a head over the last few days.
1: Well, I mean, look at the, the Pinto situation is specific to an investigation that that happened, and you know, that took some time, but you know, I'm led to believe that there was a lot of nuance to that situation. It it wasn't a clear cut. This is what he did wrong. I think that there had to be a fair bit of due diligence done before a punishment was handed out there. And then obviously his punishment was negotiated as well with the NHLPA. And so, you know, I think that timing is less puzzling to me. If I could get one, if, you know, like, if we're playing like a, a, like a game show here and I get like one answer, one question that I can ask that has to be answered truthfully, I'd mm-hmm. honestly love to get to the bottom or know why it took so long for there to be punishment in the Dadnov situation. Because, you know, we're talking about the original trade, the one where, you know, basically what I've been able to uncover through my sources, Julian, is, is on the trade call when Ottawa traded Dadnov to Vegas, there was a specific question asked, does Dadnov have any no trade protection or clauses in his contract? And Pierre specifically said, at least according to my sources, no he, he, there's, he didn't submit the list. And so, I mean, you know, you can understand if if that's what's contained in that 73 page report that HL put together, why he's no longer the GM. I mean, it, it's, it's basically either, either he forgot about it or he outright lied or whatever, but it's, it's, you know, you can't really come back from that. And, and so I, given that that trade was made in the summer of 2021 and we're sitting here almost at the start of 2024, I, I'm just, it's not clear to me why that took so long for ruling. And I I asked some people involved and never couldn't really get a straight answer. A lot of people's, you know, on, you know, there's multiple teams involved in this. A lot of people from the other teams are saying like, I don't get it either. But I I think that that's where a lot of Michael Anlauer's frustration was. I mean, I know he made a comment about Shane Pinto uh, during that press conference, but really what I was hearing is, I think he just would have liked to have known where this was headed when he was buying the team. I don't for a second think he was going to not buy the team though, by the way. Like I've seen that out there. It's like, dude, if you're buying a big fancy house and you don't like like the way one room's painted or whatever, if you want to change the countertop in the kitchen, you know, while the, those are significant enough renovations, it doesn't usually keep you from buying the house. And so I think he would have bought the sense. He just would have liked a better idea of exactly what he was buying. And that, that's, that's the way I interpreted his words anyway in that press conference.
0: So you don't think he's going to push back on 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 going to the league and be like, "Hey, I didn't know these this sink was faulty in my house when I bought it." You don't think he's going to go back to the NHL and try to make a, a bigger stink
1: of it? Oh, for sure, I think he is. I mean, look, the path is here. I don't know if you remember the, the situation where Ilya Kovalchuk initially yes. had what was ruled to be an illegal contract uh, with the Devils, and the Devils were were given a you know basically a. A uh, first round pick as a penalty for essentially trying to circumvent the salary cap with the way they structured that contract. And it was a similar thing. I don't remember the years off the top of my head, but there was a choice of years, and the devils just kept punting, punting, punting till it got to the last year. And then the NHL said, you know what, we're going to rescind that punishment. To me, that's the pattern you follow here. If you're Ottawa, you're you're basically in your mind saying that's going to be our 2026 first rounder, and we're going to be on best behavior these next couple of years. Keep maybe bringing it up when, you know, when there's a board of governors meeting and Michael Ann Lauer's there gets a chance to maybe see Gary Bettman at a cocktail reception or for a coffee in the lobby of the hotel and maybe just remind him, hey, you know, like we we'd really like that punishment taken away. That's not saying 100% it will happen, but I think the path is there. Like if history gives us a path to get it on best behavior, Michael, get a new GM in. Don't cause any problems. Don't hold many press conferences like that. Like, I think he gets one. I think, like, as much as we all loved it, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I found that to be a gripping press conference. Yes. And I would love to hear NHL owners speak that candidly and emotionally on, on big issues all the time. There's a, there's a reason why it doesn't happen. And so, yeah, he's not getting fined for that one, but I have to believe he probably can't have too many press conferences like that or it's going to become a problem. But basically – put your head down, do your work and hope by 2026, the league's taken away that pick. And, and maybe they never do end up paying the punishment. We'll just have to see how that goes.
0: No wonder we didn't bring up the first round pick. The, the, the Ottawa senators want us to forget about it.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, it. I, I guess the tough thing is, is, is when would that decision come? Like that decision might not come. Till, I mean, they might still not be able to trade it. If you know what I'm saying, even if they end up getting yeah. to keep it, they might just say right before the draft or whatever, after the draft lottery, do you know what? You can keep this. I mean, Either way, it's it's not a good situation. Um, but lots of teams waste their first round pick with the, the selection they make. So I mean, it's also not. I'm not. It's not the end of the world. I, you know, there, I've seen a lot of commentary on this. I mean, the first round pick. Basically, when you do something to to circumvent the rules to potentially give yourself an advantage over other teams, I think in this case, like what's maybe lost a little bit is two teams on the back end of this got screwed over. Right. I mean, first of all, Vegas you know they took a pr hit on that trade right that the way that if you go back and look at the coverage at the time i actually i've been was able, saying that i was able to dig up some tweets like it was a lot of like this is vegas mistreating players again this mm-hmm. and this and that and even anaheim was going to make a deal that i think that they liked they were getting a draft pick uh with dad they were unloading ryan kessler's contract and he was you know injured for his career at that point in time they were they were going to trade john moore who they had just acquired in the Hampus Lindholm deal from Boston. So obviously they took on that money from Boston, probably with the idea that they could trade it on somewhere else. And so, you know, two teams got screwed over on the other end of that because of, you know, what was essentially a, you know, a misrepresentation of the facts on the trade call, the original one with Ottawa and Vegas. And so I think that there should be a strong punishment. I I get, that, that people say, well, this isn't as bad as what Chicago did. That's not to me. That's not the argument in this case. If you want to use it to go back and say, Hey, do you know what? That Chicago did not get penalized to near enough degree. That's totally fair, but mm-hmm. I don't think you can use Chicago in reverse, you know, in reverse and say, well, they shouldn't be giving up a first round pick. I, I do think that 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 was a significant violation um, committed by the senators organization and it had nothing to do with Michael Landlauer at the time, but he bought the senator's organization. So much – if we're going to use the buying a house uh, theme again, when you buy a house and then you find out six months in that there's a cracked pipe, you got to deal with it, even if, even if you maybe wish you had known before you bought the house. I mean, that's, that's just kind of – you know. You, once you buy it, you assume kind of some liability, and that's, that's really where I think he's at. And I, I understand his frustration. I'm, I'm not being critical of him. In fact, I think if you're a senator's fan, you probably like – hearing your owner come out and sort of be that fiery and defend your team. And, and, you know, I, I think that, I think that everyone wins in a sense with, with the way he, he went there. And, and he was right on the line though. I got to think of, I would love to have had a a live cam on like Gary Bettman or Bill Daly as that thing was going on, because the, the way that we were all enjoying it, I can't imagine you know, the league doesn't tend to do business this way, right? The, there's a reason we're all freaking out about that press conference. It's because that's not like what we usually see in these situations.
0: You're absolutely right. I'm also glad you brought up Chicago in that last part, just because there are a lot of people who are looking at the punishment that the Ottawa Senators got and don't seem to understand why Chicago, in, in light of what happened with Cal Peach, didn't get a similar punishment. And and while I, I think we're it, – it's one thing to explain it, that because of the violation of of league rules and and comparing it to what Arizona went through when they were punished for for illegal workouts and and all that, I think some people will still kind of look at that and be like, well, you still have to compare. Those were still really serious situations. I I know you kind of touched off on it, but what have you made of people comparing those two situations with regards to Ottawa and Chicago?
1: I understand the comparisons, but I think we have to put them in two boxes if having a discussion about it what Arizona and Ottawa are found to have done when they lose their first round picks is explicitly break NHL rules to try to gain an advantage over the other teams. And so you're getting a first round pick docked in that case because it's, it's disadvantaging you now. It's saying you, you did that and you should have done that. And now you're at a disadvantage compared to the other teams who all get to keep a first round pick from those, those years, you know, what the Blackhawks organization and the senior people involved in it did was horrendous, horrific. And, and and I'm all for an argument saying that that the Blackhawks should have been hit with a larger penalty than the $2 million fine.
0: I think they should have lost the draft pick to be honest with you.
1: But the I would say the reason they don't lose a draft pick in that case is cuz they didn't do anything that was trying to give them an advantage over other teams. Again, I'm not excusing the behavior and I'm not, but it really what they should have maybe what we should be saying is it should have been a $20 million fine. Right? Like because you're you're hitting ownership then on that. And Look, I think at the time we said it felt light as a punishment. So this isn't just hindsight, Absolutely. but I, I do think the two situ I just think they have to be treated a little bit differently because of the nature of the rule broken. And, you know, I, but I'm all for saying that they, they should have had a, a bigger punishment at the time. Like that's, that's not to me, that's not a hot take. And I, and I know a lot of people, including us, I were making that point in real time when the block and Jenner report came out
0: absolutely and 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 a lot of us were were trying to make the point with regards to uh, Chicago and, and Ottawa that because of the fact that this is a league violation as opposed to what happened with Cal Beach that that's why we have to look at Chicago and Arizona's comparables as, sorry excuse me Ottawa and, and Arizona's comparables as opposed to the Cal Peach situation and this i just i, I think people still just want to know why it's being viewed in the light that it's being viewed at? So I appreciate the explanation there.
1: Well, and the other thing you have to remember in all of these cases, it's at the commissioner's. Basically, the commissioner has a lot of power in the constitution of the NHL and in built into the CBA. And if you want to ultimately say why did this happen and that happened, well, I mean it's because that's what Gary Bettman ruled. I mean that mm-hmm. it's it's actually not more complicated than that. It's it's at the commissioner's discretion the kind of fine that the that Chicago got. And that's what the commissioner thought was appropriate. And he has that power it's not a, do you know what I mean? Like this isn't a, a jury trial or something. There's not like 12 people in the NHL office and they consider the facts. I mean, it's it's it lands on Gary Bettman's desk. And so I think if you want to be critical of how this was adjudicated, it starts and ends with him.
0: I agree with that. Last thing on the Ottawa Senators with Steve Stales as interim GM, what's the plan there? Uh, what's the plan for a potential replacement?
1: Well, I think they will be patient. Uh, and remember, I mean, a lot of the people they're going to probably look to hire or interview or are working for other teams right now, not necessarily something other teams might want to do in November or December or January, whenever the process starts to really get going is allow their their people to speak to, to the senators. And so I think it, it could very well take some time. And ultimately I think Steve staos has to decide, like I, I don't see any circumstance where he's not doing the job for the next few months anyway, just because of, again, the timing of all this. Um, you know, he was already the the head of the hockey operations department here for the last month or so after being named president. I think ultimately kind of like we saw with Kyle Dubas in Pittsburgh over the summer, he'll have to decide, does he, does he feel like he needs to bring someone else in? Does he want to do the job himself? And he's going to get a chance to, I think understand that better because he's essentially going to be doing the job now for the next few months of the season. And so, you know, we'll see where it goes. You know, if they, they do end up having a full search, you know, one thing I'll point you to is Michael Adlauer was part of the search committee when Montreal uh, named Kent Hughes, the GM, he was obviously a minority owner of the Canadians at the time, but he was involved in all the interview process there. And so I would think a lot of the names that surfaced in that uh, search will probably search, you know, would make sense to, that they would get a shot in Ottawa. And so you know, I look at someone like Matthew Darsh, who's the assistant GM in Tampa, who's obviously had a lot of interest from lots of teams, uh, but he was in there right end right till the end in the in the Montreal situation. I think that, that he'll get a look. I mean, maybe even someone who works for the Canadians, like John Sedgwick, who who does the, the salary cap and CBA stuff for them, and would would have worked with Ann Lauer. I think I think that we can start to look for names in in that in that sort of basically who who did the Canadians want to hire two years ago and it didn't happen. Um, I think would would be a natural place as we start to inevitably point to candidates. But it's it's premature for that. And it really does sound like Ottawa is going to take its time, uh, and so Stios, Steve Steos is going to run the team for the next little while here, and we'll see where they end up with their general manager search.
0: Uh, Peter Chiarelli's name was was thrown out. Does that do, does that do anything for you?
1: A lot of people are saying that. I've I've got no information that suggests that that's happening or or is is in the works, but you know I'm not I'm not out here refuting reports. I just don't have I don't have anything tangible myself to link Peter you know, to Ottawa. I mean, I know he worked there in the past and, and all that, but um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know how that's going to go down, but uh, there's, there's a lot of smoke about that. I just, I, I can't confirm any of those reports with my own reporting. I, I don't know where that's going to go.
0: Okay. Honesty is the best policy. And uh, we'll definitely continue to follow the Ottawa senators as uh, their season continues to unfold. I'm just telling you, just going through the timeline, going through all the stuff they've endured the last little while, Yes, it's basically a season's worth of drama. Remember, Insane.
1: what's that saying? You don't want to be the main subject of hockey Twitter. They've been the yeah, main you soc- never, subject. You never want
0: to be the main character. You never want to be the main character on Twitter. Period.
1: Right. Well, they've been the main character for like four of the last seven days or something like that. So. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, they probably can't uh, wait till Thursday's game. They, they need. They need to play a game. They need to win. They, you know, like just. Just get things back to normal around there.
0: Yeah, it's just to kind of take the heat uh, off of them as they uh, host the Los Angeles Kings. Let's see how that game goes. Let's get to Sports Interaction and the rest of our Thursday edition of the CJ Show. The the yeah. go hard. Hard, hard, hard. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com for all of your gaming needs. On the Sports Interaction website, a novelty special for them. When will the San Jose Sharks win their first game this season? Next game, odds are at 2.7 to 1. Games 2 and 3 from now, uh, 2.5 to 1. Uh, four or five games from now, odds are at 6 to 1. Game six, oh, more than 6 games from now, uh, 6.5 to 1. Uh, what say you, CJ? I, do you have the schedule in front of you? For, for those who don't know, uh, we're recording on a Thursday. Uh, the Sharks play the Canucks. The Penguins are up on the schedule. The Flyers are on the schedule, the Oilers, the Sharks too. What say you?
1: Well, I would say it doesn't make much sense to predict them to beat the Canucks. Cause you could just bet them three to one on the money line. You're only getting 2.7 yes. on this bet. So if you really believe in them, you should, uh, you should probably just take them straight up in Thursday's game. Um, I'm inclined for the value to go the six plus and, and like, that's, That's tough because let's face it, even in this league, like any team, um, any team can sort of beat any team on any given night, even, even, you know, some of the the teams that struggle, but that's a, it's not that easy of a schedule immediately before San Jose. Like I'm not looking at any of those games and saying, Hey, that's a total toss up and they're going to be pretty decided underdogs in all those games. So I, I would probably make the chaos bet and say that it could be six plus. I mean, that's, that's a tough prediction. I'm, I'm saying they're going to go, what, 14 games into the season without a win? without yeah, mean, a win. Um, I believe Anaheim might have ended last season with 14 games without a, a win. So, I mean, it's, it's possible. But, you know, the Sharks are in a tough spot. They're, you know, clearly uh, – they're, they're a team that's, that's decidedly in the draft lottery situation. And I don't, I don't see an easy easy game for them at any point here.
0: Sportsinteraction.com slash STPN for all the best odds before game, in-game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash STPN.
2: Hey, it's, it's me. I don't, I don't usually do these but I'm, I'm doing this one. Here let me get into character. I cover the flames. I disagree with CJ on chocolate. Alright I'm ready. If you could trade a bench warmer for the GOAT, you'd do it right? Get your business a game-changing pickup by choosing the commerce platform with the internet's best converting checkout. It's Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, do we? Is that a thing? That we're we're, we're not. Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the hassle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed sneakers or, oh I don't know, figurines behind you that are NOT dolls, they're figurines, Shopify will help you with that very legitimate business. Once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, which means you're gonna turn browsers into buyers. For a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash johnston. Ooh, he's, he's fancy, he's got that. shopify.com slash johnston all lowercase. Do you ever feel like your brain gets in its own way? I do. Therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back, so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you need to do, just fill out a questionnaire and you'll get matched up with a licensed therapist. And if you want to switch therapists, that's fine, you can switch at any time at no additional charge. Make your brain your friend, with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Johnston. That's betterhelp.com slash Johnston to get 10% off your first month.
0: CJ, uh, we talked about uh, the unfortunate passing of Adam Johnson a couple of days ago, uh, the former Pittsburgh Penguin who was involved in a horrific skate accident. And since then, there has been talk about whether or not neck guards should be mandatory for for professional hockey players. We've seen the English ice hockey association in in the UK mandated for players Uh, this week. We've seen the Western hockey league in North America mandate it for players. We're seeing that NHL teams like the penguins of the Bruins, the hurricanes and the capitals are all looking into mandating it for their players. I I, I would love to know your thoughts on, on some of these changes that we're seeing. Is it the way to go? I I know I've been speaking to a couple of players myself about this. I'd love to know your thoughts on this.
1: Well, it's amazing to me how quickly you know if we if we go back to our show last Thursday and had this been a topic i would say no chance right because you, you you basically haven't seen a player wear a neck guard in the nhl in how long i mean um you know it's just not been part of the conversation it's not been i don't think a serious consideration uh, in recent years lots of players have put on the sleeves to protect their wrists and all sorts of other you know the socks um, that that can protect from skate cuts, uh, you know, protection down around your Achilles, but you haven't seen neck guards and all of a sudden now and, and I th- I suppose this makes sense. I mean, it, there's been a tragedy and it's really brought to the forefront how freak an accident can be, how how quickly something can happen, and, and why wouldn't you at least look into trying to put yourself in a in a position where um you could protect yourself if that happened. And so the fact that you have already one of the Canadian junior leagues, the WHL doing this. You have the Penguins with their AHL team and Wilkes-Barre uh, have mandated neck protection for their players. Um, I know there's more teams that are looking at in- instituting it at the AHL level. And then now you have at least a few NHL teams where players are going to start doing it in practice, um, which seems to me is a step towards some of them um, finding protection in a game. Like that's, that's a lot that's changed in five days um, to, to have that kind of demand. I mean, I, I've, I've heard from that manufacturers are basically sold out uh, that, that, this wave of demand for the reasons I'm kind of outlining here was not, there's no way to foresee this. And now all of a sudden every team and every league is looking to get the equipment in place. What I can tell you too, is there's there's currently three types of neck protection that's approved for use by NHL players. It sounds like there's going to be an expedited process here where there's going to be more options that that will be approved. The league's office has to approve every new piece of equipment that come, that's, you know, basically eligible to be used. And so, you know, the takeaway is I don't think you're going to see it mandated that every NHL player has to wear neck protection. That might be a ways off, but it's clear we're going to now see it be something that's used in the league. And, you know, I don't want, I mean, it's still too, we haven't even you know had the the funeral services yet for, for Adam Johnson. So I don't want to be saying that this is a good thing that can come from a death, but I mean, clearly this, this, it it wasn't something people just, you know, Breezed by and said, okay, well, that's, you know, that happened over there could never happen to me. I think that this it's, it's clear evidence to me that this really resonated pretty strongly in the hockey community. And, and, you know, I think that now the manufacturers hopefully are um, you're going to meet that demand and not just by producing the products they have, but by advancing what's out there and and making uh, the equipment even more safe, you know, moving forward than what we have available today.
0: Yeah. Um, At least one player I spoke to yesterday uh, expressed the fact that, you know, it was a horrific tragedy, but they emphasized a lot on how they hope that players still have the choice to wear it or not. I, I know maybe we're still ways away from having anything just kind of mandated for everyone in the NHL to do it. But what do you think of the idea of players at least still having the choice to wear this protection in the NHL or not, even as more and more leagues or more and more players are at least starting to think about wearing them?
1: Well, I think it's going to be grandfathered, honestly, whenever we get to the day and, and look the, in the AHL this year that the wrist sleeves are mandated. I've heard, I've been told by someone who monitors that, that there's literally been zero pushback from players. And, and so that's going well, um, at least evidently to this point in the season, I would suggest to you, that's maybe where we see the first bit of grandfathering come into the NHL is that, okay, we've tried this in the AHL and the ECHL and no one's complaining. There's no, but no issues, no incidents, no, no cuts. Um, you know, eventually that, you know, maybe for next season, we'll see. I mean, there's a GM's meeting on November 14th. And so I think we'll get a little more clarity in two weeks here. Um, but, but maybe that's, that's where it gets grandfathered in. And then, you know, I think neck protection would probably fall behind that just because um, it, it hasn't been tested to the same degree. There's not the same amount of variety of product out there, at least at this point in time. So, you know, I think that the player that told you that is going to get the choice. Cause I assume it's a player that's already in the NHL. Um, you know, future players probably won't get the choice. And and I'm okay with that. I th- I think that, um, you know, I really do believe that it, it it's okay that the players today want that choice. Some of them haven't had it. They, they, you know, they're, they understand there's risks and liabilities. I mean, we're talking about adults in the end, right? Um, I'm sure I made the point on our Monday show that if, if you're looking to apply heat anywhere, it's probably on USA hockey. And the fact that, it's, it's not mandatory that all kids that play you know, minor hockey in the U.S. have to, to wear neck protection. I think that that would be a good place to start just if we're looking at this discussion from 30 feet, 30,000 feet. As it relates to NHL players, probably won't be mandated, but I think it'll be grandfathered eventually the way visors were. And I haven't heard any player complain about a visor in the last 10 years. Right. I mean, obviously, there's still some that, that have the ability not to wear one but anyone new coming into the league has worn one up through junior ranks or in the NCAA or in Europe or wherever they, they learn the game, they get to the NHL and there's no option to take it off. You're still just wearing it. And so I think that that's, that's the path that this will follow. It's just going to probably take a little bit of time where everyone's going to grow up wearing neck protection in, in minor hockey. If they go to the the CHL now, I mean, based on the WHL's implicate, you know, introduction of this rule, you're going to still wear it. And then when you get to the American Hockey League and the NHL, eventually in whether it's two or three or five years time, you just keep it on. And I think that that's, that's probably the best way to do it versus telling a 32-year-old right now or what have you, you, you have to wear this. I mean, the, the, the key is, you know, the teams you mentioned, they're, they're encouraging their players to wear it. I think that they've made a conscious effort to, to try to order a bunch of equipment and give them different options. But ultimately, they, they can't mandate it at the NHL level. Uh, and so, yes, I think I think choice will will remain um, for those that are already in the league, but the, the choice will be made for for the future generations, and that's I think that's just fine.
0: Okay, so that's the, where we stand on that with neck guards. We'll uh, continue to go around the league here. Uh, one big player suspension uh, as we continue to talk about player safety uh, coming up this week with Charlie McAvoy and a four game suspension handed to him for a really dangerous hit to the head on uh, Oliver Ekman Larson of the Florida Panthers. What did you think of the, what did you think of the hit? what did you think of the ensuing uh, judgment passed down after that?
1: Well, pretty notable to me, this is already the second suspension of four games this season. I mean, four games is a significant suspension. Uh, it's, it's a meaningful chunk of the season. If you look in Charlie McAvoy's case, it's going to cost them $200,000 in salary. Um, that goes to the player's emergency fund. And, You know, it's, I think it's a justified suspension. I mean, really, there's two issues with that hit. It's, it's very late. So it's interference. And he clearly makes contact with, with Oliver Ekman Larson's head. And so I think you combine those two together. I mean, you, you might have made a case even for something a little longer than four games. Um, You know, Charlie McAvoy did was suspended in the playoffs in 2019 for, for a head hit as well. And so you know, that doesn't make him a repeat offender. If you remember it's any offense within the last 18 months, but you know, it's still part of his history. And so, you know, I think that, uh, I I don't have any issue with it, but I, we're seeing player safety. I don't know if it's just between the Rasmus Anderson suspension. And then this one, I don't know if there's a mandate to be a little bit more strict or stringent, but I mean, those, those are two suspensions longer than any suspension we saw last year. And we're not even through a full month of the NHL schedule yet. So um, yeah, you know, I think that those are pretty strong statements for me compared to, to, you know, what we're used to with, you know, it's almost seems like they're, they're looking to trend to, to, to have lesser suspensions. I mean, four games is, is a lot of games.
0: I just like the fact that there's some semblance of consistency. Would I would have liked to have seen more games for the Charlie McAvoy hit. Sure. I I think it was a very dangerous hit, but the fact that both of those hits, the Rasmus Anderson hit and the Charlie McAvoy hit are at four games to me at the very least, we don't have to talk about whether or not they're just coming up with random numbers. Like that's a, I think that's a pretty solid foundation for the department of player safety to build on for the season.
1: Right. And if we see another bad head check, I mean, I think that we'll all be looking for four games for it. I mean, depending who throws it in all the circumstances, but um, I'm with you. I, I don't see much controversy there. I, I didn't, no. I didn't notice. I don't know if this one generated a lot of debate or discussion. It, it kind of felt like even some of the Boston based, People that you know sometimes watch the game with through black and gold uh, glasses. I, I didn't. I didn't see too many of them raising issue with it either. I think it was a pretty open and shut case, and and you know, no no, uh, no appeal here the way there was in the Rasmus Anderson situation. I think it's. I think it's the, the punishment it should be, and it's a strong message to other players about you know being diligent not to to pick the head in, in, in those kind of open ice checks.
0: Yeah, I, I think if anything, there was the waiting period when we heard about the phone hearing where people thought, Okay, well, is this gonna get less? Is there going to be the Boston bias? Or there are a lot of people who were just kind of throwing all that stuff around before the suspension. And then once the number came out, everyone just kind of looked around and said, Huh, oh, okay, that seems right. I think I think if anything I don't think there was anything controversial, you're absolutely right on that. I think it was more just what the hell were they gonna do in advance of that? But uh yeah, four games. I think we can all live with that when it comes to Charlie of. Damn yeah. right. Let's move to the next topic here. Uh, Nicholas, Nicholas Backstrom of the Washington Capitals stepping away from the game. Uh, that was announced on Wednesday. One point in his last eight games, we know he uh, previously had uh, resurfacing surgery on his left hip last year. I don't want to say this is the end for Nicholas Backstrom. I, I would be very surprised if he makes a return after this latest setback for him uh, what are your thoughts on nicholas backstrom in this latest news
1: i mean you hate hearing or seeing a player yeah. who especially one who's had the kind of career who has been the gentleman nicholas backstrom has been through his career basically having his body you know at a point where he's not sure if he can continue on i mean i think that's the way to read it um you know it's fair to acknowledge it could be the end of the line for him I, I would say that he's hoping it's not the end of the line and and maybe wondering if some time away if there's some sort of treatment he can do maybe some rest that can get him back to a a spot where he feels he can play and move around the ice properly but um you know it's a, it's a tough situation um and and you know this this hip resurfacing procedure he had is not unlike the one Patrick Kane had uh not unlike the one uh that Jessey Puljujarvi had and and obviously in Kane and Puljujarvi's case those are two guys hoping to come back at, you know that are going to be free agents here and, and probably going to be signing in the relatively near future with NHL teams and this this illustrates some of the the challenges there I mean Nicholas backstrom was a point of game player for 14 years in the NHL uh, then he has the season where he basically is dealing with the hip issue is deteriorating left hip um, before he does the surgery where you see a pretty sharp decline in his points he returns last year for half a year and just does not produce the way he has and then 1.38 games this year I mean it just the, the trend, if, if you put that on a graph, is not encouraging. And, you know, I think if, if there's a positive here, I mean, if, if this is the end, uh, I mean, what a marvelous career. Uh, you play over 1,000 games, you get over 1,000 points, you know, win a Stanley Cup. You know, I would suggest those are Hall of Fame credentials for Nicholas Backstrom. You know, him and Ovechkin will kind of be remembered as a, you know, they were pretty um, forceful duo in, in their heyday. And, you know, let's let's hope perhaps there's, there's some something that can be done that allows him to continue his career. He signed through next season. And so th- there doesn't have to be a decision necessarily here. It sounds like the team's being pretty supportive of, of you know, allowing him this time. It's essentially kind of a leave of absence um, from the game. And, you know, it, it's, it's a tough spot. I mean, yeah, on one hand, it's like, okay, if he doesn't play say for the rest of the season, or even if we just know he's going to be out for months, you know they could put his contract on LTIR and and get nine point two million dollars in cap space, but you know you're not finding uh, Nicholas Backstrom out there even for that kind of cap space at this point in time. And so, yeah, kind of a kind of a crossroads moment. I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, Brian McClellan, the general manager of the Capitals, is going to speak to the media on Friday, and and you know he might give a little bit more insight into exactly how the how the organization is going to approach this in terms of do they does this. Do they get aggressive now? Do they look to to make trades and use that money, or are they just gonna kind of just let it let it lie and see where, where Backstrom ends up before making any more roster tweaks or decisions?
0: Okay, uh, well said on the part of uh, Nicholas Backstrom. One last topic before we get to stick taps here. Uh, CJ's latest. Uh, what I'm hearing about NHL rookies chasing their tenth game. Uh, we know how some guys uh, some guys are trying to stick around on rosters before they get sent to junior or some of them have already earned the opportunity to, to stay with their teams like Matt Patra in Boston. Uh, what are you hearing about certain rookies trying to stick around on NHL rosters uh, before their 10th game or around their 10th game?
1: Well, the, the good news for those rookies is a lot of them are guaranteed to get that 10th game. You know, it does sound as though uh, a number of the guys on that list are are guaranteed to, to play 10 and, and, you know, for those that aren't familiar with the rule just quickly, I mean, you make the roster and you play one or two or three games, that's that's equivalent to like getting the first date. Uh, you know, it's really exciting. Obviously, you know, it's a great moment in your career. You start there in an NHL paycheck, but you're not really officially on the team. I mean, the, the, the 10 game mark is where the team has to make a decision on you because it does start the, the clock officially on your contract. Uh, it has some effects down the road, CBA wise, you know, for the teams. And so it's, it's really the first, Mile marker. It's almost like your three month probation, and if you take a typical job in the world, it's like where the company has to decide: Hey, do we want to keep keep going here? And so it's it's a pretty encouraging time for players. That's why it was such a big deal for Matthew Poitras, for example, in Boston, because he you know he's a second round pick in twenty twenty two. He came to their camp with zero guarantees. Uh, I mean, there was obviously an opening there. He's a center uh, with with Bergeron and Krejci retiring over the summer, but you know there was other players to give a job to much easier ahead of him. And he earns that first run in nine games. And he's just been a regular member of a team that's 8-0-1. I mean, um, you know, probably made the job easy for them. He's He's been productive. He's been uh, – they haven't had to shelter him to a crazy degree. Like, he's just playing regular minutes on a team that's winning a lot of games. He's helping them win. And so he gets his 10th game Thursday against Toronto. Um, you know, Connor Bedard, no surprise. We won't even spend time on that. He's going to get a 10th game here. Kevin Korchinski – uh defenseman in Chicago. Uh, he's going to get a 10th game. Uh, Pavel Mintyukov in Anaheim, uh, someone we should start to pay more attention to, has had a really strong start in Anaheim. You know, he's getting a 10th game or got his 10th game. Um, Logan Cooley in Arizona is going to get a 10th game. David Jirasek and, and Adam Fantilli, both of Columbus, are going to get their 10th game. So really the first, what, seven, eight guys, in that position are going to, that's all going to happen here in the next few days. The, the most interesting one I'll point your, your attention to Julian is Zach Benson in Buffalo. Unfortunately, he's dealt with a lower body injury, missed three games in October. He's uh, been shut down again this week and uh, he sits at six games right now for the Sabres. And I think there's going to be a big decision on him when he is healthy. I mean, th- there's an option actually to send him uh, once he is healthy to the American hockey league on a conditioning loan that doesn't affect obviously his status with the, the NHL team that could be up to two weeks. So that, that could buy them some time on the decision to see where he's at and allow him to get back up to speed. Um, but it won't be long of course, before he could play four more games for the Sabres. And I think they're going to have to make a call. And so, you know, I think that the, the, the team definitely my sense is, is taking an open mind to that, but you know, he's one that could get sent back. Maybe he gets sent to the, the, the world junior team in December. Uh, Cause that's only a month or so away before those, those calls will be coming out from hockey Canada. And, um, but, you know, he's probably the one to watch that, that could go the other way. But we're having a lot of rookies stick around the league this year um, is, is one of my takeaways, you know, more than, than you'd expect. And not, it's not all just the first and second and third overall pick type of guys. Uh, Leo Carlson's another one I didn't mention um, from Anaheim that, that'll be sticking around too. But, you know, someone like Poitras who's, uh, would, wouldn't have been on our radar too, too firmly uh, heading into the season.
0: Yeah, there was an episode we were doing a couple of days ago. We were trying to figure out how to say his last name. That was we have since figured it out. And uh, I think we're going to be saying it quite a few times uh, if he continues to play as well as he has been playing. By the way, he- since that post, uh, Logan Cooley has since scored his first NHL goal, which was really sick, by the way.
1: Yeah, he's he's had a great start. I know that the, that the speed that he's shown is something that's really impressed the the management in, in Arizona. You know, I think like any player, like he, he, we we could apply this sort of thought to Connor Bedard or any of those players. It's it's like, okay, it's still going to take some time for him to really feel himself out and, and get comfortable. But I mean, he's been very productive in his first nine games in the league. And there was no, there was just no thought to, to sending him anywhere else. Um, you know, he's, I, w- I would suggest he's probably there all year to stay. Although all these teams will tell you, look, the evaluation continues because they don't, they don't have to make that, that proclamation i mean 10 games starts the contract but you know we've seen players play 10 games and still be sent back to junior or wherever their their rights are held
0: okay and uh we've reached the stick taps portion of our show uh this is where we uh show some love uh we sometimes we opt for the cross check option but we only do that We've if kind you of retired really that it feels like oh we've retired it well I, I don't, I don't, i'm not saying you haven't just used like it in you a while
1: yeah like who's the last person you cross-checked Elon Musk? <laughs> oh man.
0: Yeah, yeah, I look, I I get it. I I anyway, we don't need to we don't need to rehash that. Um but yeah, we, we normally just use it for positive stuff. Uh do you have someone you'd like to stick tap this week?
1: Uh I haven't thought about it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, to be quite honest with you, uh there's really two options to go with it. You can use it in the uh, there are two players that kind of come to mind for me in terms of player retirements this week. Uh, Joe Thornton, I think, is deserving of a stick tap with uh, his uh, Hall of Fame career and his credentials. I, I still can't believe that, you know, he was still active up until this week. Uh, Thomas Mechanics was, uh, was going to be my pick for, for a stick tap. A player who's played over 1,000 games in the NHL, most of the Montreal Canadiens, and there was like that 17-game stretch where he was a Toronto Maple Leaf plus a, a first-round series and all of that. Uh, he head-to-head head in,
1: in one of those games against uh, Boston with Bergeron. I remember yeah. the Leafs, they, they needed, they, I can't remember if it was an injury or what, but I remember he was, like, hard-matching Bergeron in one of those games. Late career, Thomas Placanich wearing blue and white was bizarre.
0: Just very, very bizarre. Just And, and I think Lou Lamorella was still GM, too, so I'm sure the facial hair rules were very much in effect. My favorite plucky moment will be when he scored in overtime of game one of the 2010 first-round series between the Canadians and the Washington Capitals, a series the Canadians had no business winning, and they started off that series with an overtime winner, and Placanich, of all people, scores that overtime winner. That was – I know there's a lot of Canadians fans who will grow up and they have grown up and have seen the run in 2021 where they end up going to the cup final against Tampa, but for a lot of people, especially my age – the run that sticks out in a lot of people's minds is that 2010 run. And that game, that moment from Plucky is what starts it all for everyone of that particular generation.
1: There you go. And don't forget Paul Stastny also announced his retirement uh, via Pierre Lebrun this week. So Absolutely. uh, It's funny in all these cases, like Joe Thornton has been retired. I think he just finally got around to recording a video and saying, I'm retired. Like, (laughs) I think the decision had long been since made. Of course, he was shirtless on that video. And he immediately course. becomes Canada's Spengler cup general manager, or I don't know what his title is, but he's helping put together the Spengler cup team with Brad Pascal. So yes. um, moving Co-general right, managers, there you go. Moving right into a management role um, at the national team level. Uh, his wife of course is from Davos, uh, Switzerland, which is, and he played for HC Davos a couple of times, which is where the Spengler cup is held. So that's, that's kind of a fitting way to, for him to spend the holidays. Um, so yeah, let's, let's stick tap to former players. Um, who are who are moving their way into into other careers now? There because some of them probably end up working with us in media. Uh, it just seems to be the way.
0: Yeah, I, look, I'm I'm all for it, man. I, I think anytime. Although Plecki any... staying
1: in check. I mean, he was he was already playing in Cladno.
0: Yeah, he's he's not joining us in the media side. That's that's not happening.
1: No, that's not his personality at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's okay. Live your life. Anyway uh that's gonna do it for the thursday edition of the cj show we'll be back on monday with a brand new episode uh leave us a uh like on youtube leave us a rating uh wherever you listen to us on podcasts, and leave us with a question whether on twitter or on discord so we can get to it on monday all you have to do is use the hashtag ask cj unless if you're on discord you don't need to use hashtags there but still just use it for you know because we'd like for you to use it. We're trying to make that a thing. We've been making it a thing. We'll just continue to make Ask CJ a thing. We love it. CJ, any final thoughts before we wrap up?
1: Well, I hope everyone enjoys their Halloween candy. And I'm sure all the Arrow bars are already eaten. So, I mean, that's that's the only sad part about November.
0: The only thing that's sad is the fact that you're propping up Arrow as a valid chocolate bar. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on to you with that photo, by the way. I know what you were trying to do when you posted that photo of of your, your, your basket of chocolates and candy, which was actually a very good assortment. And I think a lot of people were paying those compliments to you about how good it was looking because there weren't any arrow bars in that. I don't think it was because of the fact you had them at some point in that basket. I'm calling you out on that, brother. You, the way you try to make it seem as if you know Arrow is this elite tier chocolate bar is absolutely ridiculous. The fact that you have to lie to people to hype up the like, I want like, do you have a sponsorship with them? Like, seriously, no. do you have a sponsorship with Arrow? Because no, I'm just. It's I'm, not I'm that good of a chocolate bar. Them, it's so. not a, that good of a chocolate bar. I'm telling you, the fact you, that you are propping it up to this when point the kids were you're coming making up, it seem as if it's an elite chocolate bar. When the kids is were coming up on ridiculous. Halloween, it's I was a nine, it's as a ten, as eleven, I was as I was 12, holding the bowl. 13 it's ridiculous that you're doing this and the fact that you're getting away with it on the internet is an absolute joke and you should be ashamed of yourself for lying to the people about arrow i get it this is what it is like you really really should be ashamed of yourself
1: my man i just held the bowl out whenever anyone came up and i said you know pick a couple bars whatever you like and i'm telling you the kids were just scooping the arrows arrows and kit kats were doing good business on my halloween step
0: Well, did Drew Livingstone, our our producer for this week – thank you, Producer Drew, for tapping in for Producer Nick this week, by the way. Did Producer Nick – sorry, not Producer Nick. Did Producer Drew show up to your house?
1: He did not, unless he was wearing a full costume I didn't recognize him.
0: Well, at this point, I I would believe that he would because he's the only other person I could think of who would have such egregious – takes on chocolate but you know what at least unlike him you would have cranberry sauce as opposed to beets at thanksgiving and with that that's going to do it for the thursday edition of the cj show for cj i'm julian so long and peace.
2: the chris johnston
1: show
0: powered by sports interaction your homegrown sports book always remember to bet local
1: inside the game twice a week follow chris on twitter at reporter chris and follow julian mckenzie at jk and mckenzie the chris johnston show